Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to the Know It All podcast. I am your host, Riley Sue, and I am so excited to be joining you guys this week. I cannot believe we are already on episode three. I'm I'm sure, as you know, we hit double digits and then so on and so forth. I'm just going to keep getting blown away, but oh my gosh, we're really doing it, and I'm having so much fun. I am so happy with how you guys received the episode last week. Thank you for all of your feedback. Thank you for all of your shares, for all of your support. I really think that telling Claudette's story is really important, and I'm really happy that it touched so many of you the way that it touched me. This week, though, we're going to get a little silly. We're going to kind of step a different direction just because I don't want to, you know, I don't want this to be a super heavy hitting podcast all of the time, but I do feel that it's important to talk about stories like Claudette's as well as, you know, the more serious and mysterious side of history. So this week we're going to switch things up a bit, get cozy. Let's get ready for this because we're going to talk about lightning this week. Yeah, that's right. This week's topic is all supreme. She wakes you from your dreams. This week is lightning. Go, 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 go. That's copyright, so I can't throw that in there. But this is exactly what I've been thinking about the entire week as I prepare for this episode. I just keep singing Grease Lightning to myself, so sorry. Had to plant that seed in your head, too. Love you. I feel like at some base level, we all probably have a pretty good appreciation or at least respect for lightning. I mean, everyone give it up for Mr. McQueen. Ka-chow. But, all jokes aside, in the least, lightning is powerful, and at the most, it's so scary that you could crap your pants if you thought too hard about it. I mean, this is the force that supposedly helped us harness fire as a species. It just came down and struck a bush, and we were like, wow, that's really cool. So, we're going to put lightning on blast this week, but in true know-it-all form, we're going to really get into the nitty-gritty, itty-bitty details. We're going to learn how lightning is formed and how it works, how it was rationalized in the past through gods or through folklore, one commandingly intense and very real form of lightning, and a few first-hand accounts of interacting with this extra sassy static electricity. I mean, this has permeated into everything in our lives, y'all. This Lightning's everywhere once you start looking for it. From Disney to Christmas. Donner means thunder and Blitzen means lightning. You thought that Rudolph was the only reindeer with a special power? Come on, let's be honest with ourselves here. So grab a bevy, get your Imagine Dragons album, and a balloon to rub on top of your head. It's time for the lightning and the thunder. Ka-chow! Okay, so before we can get into the justifications and classifications for lightning, we're going to need to know what it actually is and how it happens. So if I asked you to tell me off the cuff who it was that first discovered electricity, you're probably going to tell me some silly little story about Benjamin Franklin running out into a thunderstorm with a key and a kite. But people had been entertained and fascinated by electricity and by lightning long before Americans' own libertine ran out in that storm. The name electricity actually comes from a Greek philosopher named Thales, who in 600 BC rubbed a piece of amber with a cloth, and he began to notice that feathers and straw were attracted to this hunk of ancient tree sap. Later, William Gilbert, who was a court healer for Queen Elizabeth, used amber to duplicate the experiment. He called this via electrica, after electrica, which is Greek for amber. You know, Carmen Amber? We all know her. But on that day in 1752, Franklin was not trying to prove that there was electricity. He was trying to demonstrate that lightning was electric in nature. The success of the experiment was due to the fact that he actually brought electricity out of the storm, picking up the ambient charge that's above our heads while there's a thunderstorm active. He was not struck by lightning, which would have killed him and derailed the bifocal far before she had her chance to shine, but he used his key and his kite as common conductors and picked up what he had suspected to be there in the first place. With the kite floating through the storm and the key tied to the middle of a string, Franklin noticed that the hairs of the hemp string were standing upright. He then lifted his knuckle to the key and zap, he'd touched an electric spark. Though I think it was probably no bigger than a shock from a refrigerator. But Benny doesn't have a fridge, so this is really exciting stuff, guys. 
Mr. Franklin is just the beginning here, though. The science of thunderstorms is way deeper than simple static electricity between the clouds and the Earth. To start, lightning doesn't have to only occur cloud to ground. It can also take place cloud to cloud or cloud to air. So, little basic fact for you, it's cold up in the atmosphere, and even down at its bottommost layer, the troposphere, where the clouds and the thunderheads are formed, it, there's no exception to this rule. So, just very quickly, the formation of lightning goes something like this. Water vapor in the clouds turns to ice crystals. Those ice crystals carry a positive charge and begin to rise to the top of the cloud. Over time, these crystals take on a larger form, as pieces of hail, and they fall downward near the bottom of the cloud due to their weight. As they fall, they take on a negative charge. So, as lightning begins to form, the air inside of the cloud works as an insulator, keeping the positive and negative charges within the thunderhead separate. As the negative charge builds at the bottom of the cloud, it's attracted to the positive charge of the Earth. Eventually, this attraction becomes too strong, can't blame you lightning, Mother Earth is a baddie, and two opposing charges come together to create a path of discharge for the current. The energy and heat generated by this discharge is visible to us as a white-blue flash, or lightning. So guys, I think it's kind of safe to say that lightning is that girl, and that's only further evidenced by the way that we've rationalized its existence for as far back as we can find in the historical and archaeological record. As humans, we've long seen lightning and thunder and rain as some of the most powerful forces on our planet, and the gods and folklore that we came up with in relation to the big flashy boom booms are evidence of that. Now, we all know about the two gorgeous gods from Greek and Norse mythology, Zeus and Thor. I mean, Hercules' daddy in the animated Disney movie really did something for me when I was a kid, and Chris Hemsworth is Thor. Even him in his less chiseled form from his more recent films, homie could be my god of love and thunder any day. But the similarities between these two begin to thin after bulging biceps and pecs the size of an Xbox. Zeus is an example of an Indo-European pattern in which the god of lightning is known as the leader or the king of the gods. This character is typically all-powerful and is the keeper of order within the world. Some people believe that this is actually where the idea for the Abrahamic god comes from, and I completely agree. I mean, think about all of the paintings you've ever seen, think about the Sistine Chapel, the frescoes of all of the people, all of those gods, all of those saints, they look exactly like carbon copies of Zeus and some of the gods in the Greek pantheon. You can't tell me that they're not the same. I would love to dedicate an entire episode to a pantheon of gods or, or even possibly examining some of the archetypes that are repeated throughout many of them, but I'm just going to hit on a few lightning gods here today that I found really interesting and didn't just represent a more European um, and a more simplistic version of ancient gods. It's probably also important to note here that there were thousands of religions, languages, and customs that existed in a pre-colonial era. So our whitewashed and reduced versions of these stories help to keep them alive, but it would be irresponsible of me to say that this is a full and whole image of every way that people from these cultures could have possibly interacted with these deities and these spirits. Okay, let's get into it. Leading us off is going to be another one of those all-powerful gods named Indra. Indra is the thunderbolt hurling and cloud riding favorite god of Hindu and Buddhist mythology. He has a beard made of lightning, which for some reason just makes me think about when my spouse shaves their beard and their beard feels like lightning. Could you imagine Indra's like little stubble? No, thank you. Uh, but he also hurls thunderbolts into clouds and releases the water from inside, which brings life to the earth and the crops below him. Our next god is Teshub, who is the chief god of Hurrian and Hittite myth, but unlike Indra and Zeus, he only reached his place of power after three other gods had been banished to the netherworld. But just because he wasn't originally on the throne doesn't mean that he's not powerful. His influence is really affirmed by all of the carvings and art that survived from the period. One depiction actually shows Teshub standing on the necks of two other mountain gods. I mean, he's a power top. He's good. Shangu is the god of lightning and fire in the religion of the Yoruba in southwest Nigeria. He's known by a few other names around Nigeria, such as Ido and Asango, but to keep things from getting confusing, he's just going to be Shango to us. Unlike the other gods that I'm discussing here today, Shango is actually a deified ancestor, which means that he was once a living person in Nigeria. 
He was the fourth king of Oyo, and the oral tradition paints him as a powerful man who had a voice like thunder and a mouth that spewed fire when he spoke. When his subjects deserted him in favor of a subordinate chief, Shango actually left Oyo and hung himself. His followers say that he ascended into heaven on a chain, claiming that this was not death but the chance to take on a more powerful form. Another god of lightning in Africa was the Egyptian god Set. Known as the god of war, chaos, and storms, Set was one of the first five gods that was created after the unification of Earth, Geb, and the sky, Nut. He's often depicted as a red dog-like creature, but he's more commonly associated with serpents. Before the unification of Upper and Lower Egypt, Set was an important and benevolent god that people called on for issues with love. But by the time of the New Kingdom, he was known as the first murderer. The story goes that he killed his older brother, Osiris, by having a casket made to Osiris' exact measurements and then asking all the guests at a party to attempt to lay inside. What a fun game. None of them fit, of course, and when it came Osiris' turn to lay inside, Set slammed the lid shut and threw his brother into the Nile River to die. Sibling rivalry is a nasty beast, and I mean, Set obviously took his chaotic title seriously. Could you imagine the drama here? You're all just playing a fun little parlor game, having a good time, getting ready to have dinner, and then suddenly this man is killing his family. You need evidence that the bystander effect is real, guys? None of these people intervened. Like, they just watched this man get murdered. <laughs> Elapa was the Incan god of thunder, and dressed in shiny clothes and carrying a sling, the Incas prayed to him for rain and protection from drought. They thought that during storms, lightning would flashes off of his shiny clothes and that the thunder was a crack of his sling. They actually say that he shot a bolt from his sling that broke his sister's water jug and caused the rain to fall. Now, the last god that we're going to be talking about is from Australia and was worshipped by the aboriginal peoples who lived there before the invasion of the Europeans and the development of the English penal colony. Mamragan is, of course, a lightning god, but there are a few parts of his legend that stand out. During the dry season, Mamragan lives deep in a lagoon, waiting for the wet season to return. I actually got to learn, guys, this is really cool, this is total sidebar, but the word billabong, like the brand, actually is the name, the true name for what Mamragan lives inside of. It's little, like, lagoons that are left over from whenever a river changes course. That's what billabong means. I had no idea. Um, but anyway, so he lives in his lagoon, or his billabong, waiting for the wet season to return. And during the monsoon, Mamragan rises into the sky, onto the clouds, and he uses hammers that grow from his knees and elbows to create thunder, and then he ejaculates lightning. The flashes extend from his ears to his rod, and they encapsulate his whole body. He sits far above the world on clouds, and he gets super freaking pissed off. He brings rain, thunder, and lightning, just to show you how mad he is. And as the wet season goes on, Mamragan grows stronger. He begins to split trees and spray his, I mean, lightning all over the place. Our last two examples of lightning spirits are not gods, but rather animals. And much like Mamragan and Shango, the tribal nature of the original cultures who celebrated these creatures means that the image we have now is not the only version that exists. So if I say something or if I don't talk about something that you possibly know about this thing, go ahead and hit a homie up. Let me know. I want to know more. Um, I did read a whole lot about these two creatures, and I tried to just pull some stuff that I thought would give you a really good overview. Living in the clouds, high above the tallest mountains, comes the Thunderbird. And I don't mean the car from the 50s. I know that I'm the one that said Greece first, but stop it. We're not there anymore. The Thunderbird is a widespread creature in Native American tradition that can be found in tribal cultures all over the United States and Canada. The bird brought rain and storms, with legends saying it was large enough to lift up whales in its talons. The Thunderbird is a symbol of power and protection. The flapping of its giant wings sounded of thunder, and it shot lightning from its eyes. There are varying oral traditions and stories about the Thunderbird. Some tribes treat it just like a regular part of the animal kingdom, and some tribes really revere it. 
In a few plain tribes, it's the bird of summer, with the white owl representing the winter season, and in Algonquin myth, the thunderbird controls the upper world and the underworld is controlled by the water panther, or the great horned serpent. The thunderbirds are said to be ancestors of humans and help to protect them from the great horned serpent by throwing lightning at it. In the post for this week's episode, I've included some images of the gods that we've already discussed, as well as the Thunderbirds, and then some stuff that we're going to go ahead and get into later. Um, Go ahead and check it out on Know It All Pod on Instagram. In Africa, there was a creature called the Impendulu, or the Lightning Bird, that's often depicted to be a vector of chaos working in favor of witchcraft. Said to be approximately the size of a man, this black and white bird has a large beak and red feet. In some areas of Africa, there's actually a real-life bird called the hammer cop that has been documented to be the embodiment of the lightning bird. They say if you destroy its nest, you're asking for a storm. But there are also versions of this legend that are far more violent and far more supernatural. One account that I read said that the Zosa believed that the Impendulu only appears as a bird to women, and everyone else can see it as a lightning bolt. The spot where the bolt strikes the earth is the location of the bird's nest, underground, and the people have a ceremony that takes place to locate, destroy, and cleanse the area where the eggs are found. There's an obvious reason to do this, of course, so the eggs don't hatch, but it's thought that if the eggs do hatch, the Impendulu is going to return for its young, and it's going to bring an even worse storm. You remember Benjamin Franklin and his kite? Well, about a year later in 1753, another man attempted to recreate the experiment, and his name was George Wilhelm Reichman. And while attempting to do so, the storm decided to throw everything that it had by him, and he was struck by ball lightning. Yeah, ball lightning. I'll let it sit with you for a second. I know it's a little hard to wrap your brain around, but don't worry, we're going to get into it. Okay, your second's over. The storm literally hurled a crackling and burning ball of electricity at him. Seems like he didn't pay his respects to Mom Roggen. Ball lightning, though, is a rare phenomenon that has fascinated and terrified humans for centuries. Also known as globe lightning or kugelblitz, ball lightning can range in size and color from 6 inches to multiple meters in diameter, blue to red-orange, and has been said to both disappear quickly and bounce wildly around rooms. It has been reported to cause damage by burning or melting anything in its path, and some reports say that it explodes before it disappears. I'd heard about ball lightning before, but I had never really dug into everything and figured out, you know, if it was real or how common it actually was. And though scientists don't agree on what causes ball lightning or what its relationship to common lightning is, they do agree that it's very real and that it does happen. Some believe that the balls are related to air or gas behaving in exceptional ways, air vortexes of luminous gases, flaming balls of soil or debris, high-density plasma, or people that mistake bead lightning as ball lightning. But I don't think that this is the case because bead lightning is really different. It typically is more apparent in cloud-to-ground strikes, whereas... That's not always the case for ball lightning, and it's typically only noticeable for a few moments. This is because the luminosity of the bolt is stronger in some places and causes spots to shine along the bolt that look like a string of beads. It's incredibly beautiful, but it's not ball lightning. One study actually found that over half of all ball lightning sightings are hallucinations caused by magnetic fields during thunderstorms. But we're going to get into some of the well-documented and most amazing stories of ball lightning that are on record. One of the earliest accounts of ball lightning took place in England and is from Canterbury, where in the early Middle Ages, a monk wrote about his experiences seeing the strange orb. This monk's name was Gervais, and he was a Benedictine monk at the Christ Church Cathedral Priory in Canterbury. Gervais's job at the cathedral was simple, chronicle and document the disputes that those of the church were having, as well as the actions of the king and his noble people. Gervais, though, had a special interest. He was fascinated with the natural world, and so along with his typical duties, he often wrote about events of the sun and moon, floods, famine, or earthquakes. Using his accounts against records of eclipses and other natural events, we can take Gervais as a very credible and highly reliable narrator for what he saw take place on June 7th, 1195. 
He described a white substance falling from a dark cloud, and while it was falling downwards, it began to spin into a fiery sphere. The sphere fell downwards towards the River Thames, but instead of making contact with the water, it moved horizontally across the water's surface before disappearing. Another well-accepted early occurrence of ball lightning also took place in England, but it was much later in 1638. This time, an orb of ball lightning struck a church in Widecombe during a raging storm, known as the Great Thunderstorm. I actually read about this incident in a book that I think has one of the most on-the-nose names ever. It's titled, A True Relation of Those Most Strange and Lamentable Accidents Happening in the Parish Church of Widecombe on Devonshire on Sunday the 21st of October 1638. Not to be confused with the averagely strange and lamentable events of Monday the 22nd. The book actually opens with a long statement about the judgments of God and how we're all subject to those judgments with the rising of every sun, the beginning of every day, and there's even a little note in the margin that says in Latin, the fault of a few is the fault of all, which I think is a little harsh for what's about to go down here. The story goes that on a Sunday, there had been a strange darkness forming over the church in Devonshire. The darkness was so intense that the townspeople couldn't read, and the thunder was as loud as cannons. As nearly 300 people were gathered in church for their Sunday service, a spear of ball lightning fell through the roof of the church, filling the room with smoke from the flames. The minister watched from his pulpit as his wife and his congregation were burned in the path of this hissing and arcing spear. The book that I read speaks of a woman who tried to run from the flames and was burned so badly that the bones of her back were almost visible. Another woman was so badly burned that she died from her wounds. A father and a son sitting side by side in the pews had very different interactions with the ball. The father had his head thrown back against the wall, causing him to die later in the day, but the son was entirely unscathed. As the ball moved within the church, there was one man who bore the weight of its contact. It split his skull into three pieces and threw his brains onto the pew behind him and blood painted the walls. A handful of his hair was actually found on one of the pillars nearby. Like, could you imagine? The pillar behind the minister's pulpit had just been painted white, but it was now blackened entirely and the whole room smelled of sulfur. In the end, around 60 people were injured and four lost their lives, including one dog, guys, I didn't want to tell you this, but I have to, including one dog who they said tried to run from the church, but as soon as he got outside, he just fell over and died. But this instance of ball lightning is extraordinary for many reasons, from the number of people who saw it to the way that it apparently behaved inside of the church that day. The ball is said to have entered the church near the north side of the base of its tower. It then hit a wall and bounced into another, before making its way straight up the aisle towards the minister, hitting the pulpit, and then going back down the aisle towards the man who was hit in the head. There are also documented incidences of ball lightning that took place in Sweden in 1944 and 1994. In 1944, it smashed through a closed window in Stockholm and left a perfectly circular hole around 16 centimeters in diameter. It moved through the kitchen where it had entered and then went out the other side of the house, leaving the family it had terrified entirely unharmed. After this incident, it was speculated that the orb was part of a new technology that was being tested by the Germans for World War II, but we've now established that it's likely ball lightning. The 1994 incident was not seen, but this orb also came through a closed window during a storm. The hole it left in the window was discovered a day or two later and was approximately 5 centimeters in diameter. In both 2006 and 2014, a village in the Czech Republic with around 160 residents was struck by ball lightning. In 2006, an orb hit the mayor's home, taking out three quarters of the chimney and causing all of the electrical sockets to pop out from the wall. Shockingly, the appliances all worked after an electrician came and fixed the sockets. Heyo! <laughs> In 2014, it was an elderly couple who fell victim to the fireball. Watching from their porch, they saw it move across multiple roofs before falling into their own barn. The barn was of course made of wood and it was filled with hay, so it took to fire quickly, but thankfully there were neighbors that put it out before it could be a total loss. 
In 2012, preachers from Lanzhou, studying at China's Northwest Normal University, just so happened to see and record ball lightning on video with its associated spectrum. The researchers were there to investigate common lightning, but just after a cloud-to-ground strike took place and subsided, they saw ball lightning appear. The glow was recorded around five meters across, but the actual internal size of the ball was much smaller. It lasted around a second, and the researchers watched it change from white to reddish brown in color as it moved 10 meters across the ground and ascended roughly three meters into the air. That's nine feet, guys. They calculated that the ball moved at a rate of 8.3 meters per second, or 18.6 miles per hour, and left behind traces of silicon, iron, and calcium. But those are all elements that were abundant in the soil. This caused many people to say that they thought the orb was just soil burning, but aluminum, another element that's prominent in the earth, was not found in the path that the ball had traveled. The researchers planned to replicate and stimulate the conditions that were present at the time to attempt to reproduce the ball lightning in a laboratory. The latest recorded event of ball lightning was recorded last summer on June 24, 2022, in Liebenberg, Austria. Reported by the European Severe Weather Database, the ball was seen by a retired man as a yellowish burning object with licking flames that moved in a wave-like pattern over the ground for 15 meters on a local road before disappearing. The report was given to the database by email but has passed its plausibility check, being recorded as exceptional electrical phenomenon, ball lightning. And as far as I can tell, that's the most recent occurrence of it. I mean, this stuff is really, really rare, and it's even rarer that it's seen by a human, and it's even rarer that it's seen by a human that reports it. So just the fact that we have all of this information that we do have is incredible. I mean, these are literal angry balls of electricity, guys. This is like, this is the stuff nightmares are made of, but at the same time, this is the kind of stuff that like literally keeps me awake at night because I'm reading everything I possibly can about it. But if you're interested to learn more about ball lightning or just storms in general, there are a few really interesting documentaries I watched on YouTube that are super easy to find. One of the most interesting ones that I watched covered the 2012 incident and actually shows you the video of ball lightning that they captured that day. It's titled Seek Out Natural Mysteries Ball Lightning, and I will go ahead and tell you it is in Chinese, but it has captions in English that make it way easier to understand. Another fun documentary I watched was called Worst Weather Lightning. Go ahead and go check those out. That one's also on YouTube. So, as spring begins to make its way through and, you know, thunderstorms return, I hope that you guys feel a little closer. I hope you guys feel like you know a little bit more about what's going on, or maybe you're a little more scared because you know what is possible. Um, But this was great. I have a lot of fun doing these kind of silly deep dives. This is entirely where the inspiration for the pod came from. I just love to read any and everything. I used to work at Trader Joe's and my coworkers can definitely tell you that I used to come in and just, they'd be like, Riley, you look tired. And I'd be like, yeah, I stayed up all night reading about Italian dinners instead of, (laughs) instead of sleeping. So ball lightning is one of those topics that I have done that with. And I'm so happy to officially feel like I know a whole bunch about it and that I can sit here and tell you guys with a little bit of authority, you know, what it is and some of the stories that exist about it. So I hope that you guys loved the episode. I hope that you guys have a great rest of your week. This is so much fun. I am never going to stop thanking you for just tuning in. I am never going to stop thanking you for just letting me do this. This is one of the greatest things that I have ever done. This is the most fun that I get to have in the week. And I, I just love you guys. So goodbye. I hope you'll join me next week in the pursuit to know a little bit about everything. Please like, share, comment, and stay safe out there, guys. Until next time.